Okay, Romans 12. I appeal to you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship or reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment. And we can stop right there. Think with sober judgment. Don't think more highly of yourselves than you ought to think. Now, we looked at that text last week. We dealt with it. Don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. Think with sober judgment. And I emphasize to you folks, but look, as we seek to be a church that is dangerous, as old Jim Elliott, he was young when he died, back in the 50s, he prayed to be dangerous. And if we're going to be dangerous, and I don't mean dangerous to men, I don't mean dangerous in the sense that we are a threat to people in this world. I mean dangerous to the kingdom of darkness. If we're truly going to be that, we are going to be objects of His wrath, objects of His assaults. Now listen to me. He will find cracks to get in here. I'll guarantee you when people are thinking more highly of themselves than they ought to think. When they think they are more discerning than they actually are. When they think they ought to be teachers when God didn't call them to that. When they think that they've got an opinion that needs to be heard when it doesn't really need to be heard. When they think that they've been wronged and they've got all sorts of rights, they've got an entitlement mentality, and God forbid anybody ever find fault or rebuke or correct or step on their toes when we've got people like that. It's a tinderbox waiting for the devil to come along. And, and Paul knows this. He says, look, right at the very heart of this matter, don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. Think with sober judgment. Be sober in your estimation of yourself. Okay, now do this. Have you guys ever seen where they have like a camera shot? And like right there it is on Kenny. And we can imagine it comes out. You've got restaurant, then you've got neighborhood, you've got the city. It's drawing back. You've got the earth, it draws back. You see the planets, you've got the... You ever seen that kind of thing? It just draws right back. Pans out. You just go back. I want to do that right now. We got, brother, we've got individuals, brethren of this church, you're scattered out there. Don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to. Okay, let's take that camera and go and zoom right out. The big picture. Let me come away from Romans 12.3 for a second and give you a little bit of insight into the big picture here. Turn real quickly to Romans chapter 1. And I'm going to read right there, and then I'm going to have you turn to the end of the book. 
is I want you to see something very, very key. Something very important. Romans chapter 1, verse 1. Watch this. Paul's introductory remarks. Now, you know what's very interesting? When you have introductory comments, and then you go to the end of the book and you look at the closing comments, you get an idea about maybe what the whole thrust of the letter from Paul's perspective is all about. Let me show you here. Romans 1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. So here you have an apostle. He's bringing forth this gospel. What's the gospel? It's the good news. Jesus Christ has come to die for sinners. Any that will look to Him in faith will be definitely saved. This was promised. God promises beforehand through the prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning His Son. You have no gospel unless you have a gospel of Christ who is descended from David according to the flesh, was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by His resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ our Lord. Now notice this. Through whom? Through Christ, the church receives grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith. And I'll tell you this. We need grace. That's where the power is. We need apostleship. We need that type of ministry today. This is what establishes the obedience of faith for the sake of His name among all the nations. Now, did you catch that? What is the goal of the Gospel? What is it that's done for the sake of His name? Now, let me tell you something. When you say for the sake of Jesus' name, something is being done, you could say it in other words. You could say it like this. For the glory of Christ, the obedience of faith, is being brought about among the nations. That's, that's another way you could look at it. Basically, the obedience of faith. It isn't just faith. It's the obedience that flows out of faith. Look, this idea today that you can be a believer and live anywhere under the sun, let me tell you, that is not what the Gospel's all about. You got some idea you can live this backslidden life, this carnal Christian deal that goes around today? What this is telling you is that is not for the glory of Christ. What's for the glory of Christ is a gospel that when believed brings forth an obedience that flows out of that faith. That is what is being done for the sake of His name among the nations. Now Paul starts his letter like that. Now quickly, go to the end of the book. Romans 15. And verse 18, Romans 15, 18, Paul says this, I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience. You see that there? The thing that Paul finds to be a focal point, something that should be emphasized and that he's not going to brag about or boast about or, or venture to speak of, Anything except this. What? The Gentiles being brought to obedience. Okay, go a little further. Romans 16, verse 25. Here you have Paul's closing statements on the whole book. Romans 16, verse 25. Now to Him, that's the Lord God, who is able to strengthen you according to My Gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations. Watch this. According to the command 
of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. Let me tell you something. The obedience of faith is what Paul is going to speak of. The obedience of faith is what Paul says comes by the commandment of God. The obedience of faith is what is for the sake of Christ's name among the nations. Now look, he, you've got these two massive bookends on the book of Romans. Paul does that for a reason. Because as you go through and he develops his gospel, I really believe that Romans chapter 12 is somewhat of a culmination of all this. This is what the gospel produces. And this is one of the reasons why I so emphasize to you in Romans 6, Romans 7, Romans 8, that the gospel does not produce people who all they do is the evil they don't want to do. That's not it. What this produces is obedience. And if your Christianity is not producing an obedience, not, look, not this dry mechanical stuff, but the kind that flows out of faith. Faith in who? Faith in Christ. It's an obedience that flows out of those whose eyes are looking outside of themselves, gazing upon Christ. That's the sum. That's the reality. By the command of God, I hope, I hope that will sink in. And here's, here's what happens in Romans 12. This obedience of faith. Paul lays down. What does he appeal? His appeal is to the mercies of God. It's to all those things that you put your faith in with regards to Christ. It's all the glories. It's all the blessings. It's all the mercies. He says, I appeal to these. In other words, think about these. Think about all that you have in Christ. Set your eyes there. Put your eyes on Him. And if you're going to be these living sacrifices, that's, that's really the thing. The faith that is working out this obedience, that's what it is. It's these living sacrifices. And He says, you've got to have transformed minds. You can't be thinking like the world. And He comes right down and He pins it right here. The way you think about yourself has everything. Look, sometimes we got to get past our little life. Now I realize you've been called to live in your shoes, in your pants, in your dress, in your right where you are. But sometimes we need to step back and realize it's for the sake of Jesus Christ's name that we are called to live this way. This is no small thing and it's by the commandment of God, it's for the sake of his name. And if the apostle, the great apostle Paul, is going to boast in something, it is going to be right at that point. The Gentiles are coming to obedience. I'll tell you what, if the apostle Paul was here and he was looking around at the Christian landscape, the religious landscape today, and heard all this being said, that you can be a Christian and yet be walking in all sorts of sin, he'd have said, that, that totally is in, in absolute contradiction to my whole book of Romans. I guarantee you, folks, Absolutely guarantee you. Look, this living, loving, lowly, living sacrifices is the heart of bringing Christ glory. It isn't just about getting you to heaven. It's about you living these imitating lives of Christ right here. For the sake of His name among the nations. God has given commandment. Right at that level. 
He says, learn of me. I am gentle and lowly in heart. This is it. Think that way, folks. Living, loving, lowly sacrifices. What Matt was hitting on in the Sunday school, that's right at the heart of it, folks. This is what we're being called to. In, in short of this, we don't have the right thing. This is no small thing. Okay. Now, that's just kind of introduction. Let's do this. Imagine yourself now. You're back in the camera. I've got the camera focused in right there on Richard. And now, what we're going to do... Hi, guys. Now what I want to do is that was kind of that was just kind of a summary but I want you guys to think about this again don't think of yourselves more highly than you ought to think okay I got the camera in there now this time I'm not going to pan out this time I'm going to start running the reel backward zip the day he was born Let's go back 100 years, 200 years, 500 years, 1,000 years, 2,000 years. Where are we? Well, let's go to the other side of the earth too. We've got to go over there to Rome. Okay, imagine. You guys have imaginative minds, right? You guys can go there with me. Have you ever seen, like, you've seen the pictures of the different, you know, they got the little, uh, what, olive leaf deals on their head. and you can, you can imagine what it would have looked like in the Roman society. There was actually a church at Rome made of people like, Tryphena and Tryphosa. You know, you know who those people are? I mean, they're, they're in the Bible. They're, they're right there in the last chapter. They're real people. This church was real. They were made up of people just like us. Now come there with me. Okay, imagine them. Now, I don't know where they would have been parked. I know sometimes they met in the catacombs. Can you imagine that? I was just talking to... I don't like caves. That would not have been a favorite place of mine. But imagine them packed in. Church at Rome. Big city. I mean, the big. this is the capital of the world. I don't know where they would have been jammed in. Maybe somebody's home. Maybe in one of the, the catacombs. Maybe, maybe in a, a shop somewhere. But you've got them in there. Can you imagine this? Word has began to circulate through the brethren. Hey, so-and-so brother came and he's got a letter from Paul. Now, I don't know if they would have been as excited as we would have been. You know, he's alive in that day. Typically, when people are alive and you've seen them and you've touched them, it's not as big a deal as when they're far removed and in another time. But you're going to matter. A letter came. They would have believed he's an apostle. He's an apostle of Jesus Christ. We've got a letter from Paul. Can you imagine? It's being read. Imagine what, what would one of the elders have looked like. Not, what, not like one of those old Jewish patriarchs. Probably, a lot of times, the... the Romans were clean shaved. But can you imagine some stately... He's got the scroll. And the church. You know, it's like, keep the children quiet. There's a letter from Paul. And it's pretty long. And he, he undoes it. And he's reading through it. And he comes to that text. Now you know how it is. My brother was reading the Bible this morning. 
A lot of times what happens is when, when things are being read, you're catching bits, and you start to think on those, and then you kind of come back up to speed, and you know you missed something. And there's no doubt they read the letter over and over and over and over to really begin. But can you imagine the first time through? People are picking up things. And can you imagine the first time Romans 12.3 is read? And I don't know, you know, imagine with me. you got grandmother over there, and don't think more highly of yourself than you ought. And suddenly she feels this little tinge of sorrow. Now maybe some of the other people didn't pick up on that. They were, they were still thinking about something he said in Romans 10 or 11. But grandmother picks it up. She had high thoughts of herself that day and feels like it may have grieved her Savior. you got Tryphena and Tryphosa back there. I tell you, when you hear a text like this, they may have had a sigh. Because they realize they're not always as humble as they want to be. And it's, it's somewhat, somewhat grieving to them. But I'll tell you what. There's somebody else in that crowd. I see him there. I can see him in my mind. And I can see him here. He's off in the corner. She's there in her seat. Paul says that we are not to think. He says, by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment. And there's that person out there. They're there in Rome and they're there today. And you're not really hearing what I'm saying. Because you think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. And you think more highly of yourself in a way that is much darker, much deeper, and much more dangerous than Tryphena and Tryphosa maybe at times having a little bit of an arrogant streak for which they grieve, or grandmother who may have had a high lofty thought and it came out in some words that were more than gracious. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about those of you that are sitting there right now and you walked into this place this morning and you were thinking more highly of yourself in a way that is deep and deadly. Folks, I'm certain of this. We have some in our midst right now. You hear my voice. But you see, because you do think more highly of yourself than you ought, you don't hear my words. For the very reason that you don't think you think more highly of yourself because that's what thinking highly of yourself does. It makes you think that you're not thinking more highly of yourself than you ought. But you are. Because you've waltzed in here today and you're not afraid. You think you are safe. You think you are heaven bound. And you are thinking more highly of yourself than you ought to think because you are thinking high thoughts that you're on your way to heaven and that is dead wrong and not true. You are hell bound and your thoughts are not on that same level. They're not there. I see you. I mean, I, there, there are those out there. 
You think you are safe. All men have high thoughts of themselves. I guarantee you, there are folks in this room that are hell bound. And they know it not. They think it not. They don't expect to go there. And that is exactly where they go. Do you think if we could go down into the depths of the pit right now and bring up the damned, they would all tell you, yeah, we expected to go here. We, we had it planned. You know, the way we lived our life, we, we sat there, we wasted our time, we loved our sin, we lived our lives without Christ. We expected to come here. I'll tell you, that is not the case. Hell is filled with people who had a plan. They had a plan. They weren't going to go there. They were going to get right before they died. They were going to take care of these issues. They had this idea because they had the same high lofty thoughts as some of you have right now. And they're just not true. And I'll tell you this, never, never, never is thinking more highly of yourself than you ought to think. More dangerous than right at this point. Never. I can say to you, sir, or ma'am, young man, young lady, never, never is thinking more highly of yourself than you ought. More dangerous or more deadly. You folks all remember last week? I explained to you. Don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to think, but think with sober judgment. Do you remember the word sober judgment? I brought it out. In the original, that word means think in your right mind. And the opposite of that word is to be out of your mind. It is to be insane. What Paul is saying here is don't think thoughts of yourself that are insane. Don't think thoughts of yourself that are out of your mind. Can you imagine a more insane thought. Being more out of your mind than thinking you're on your way to heaven. And to find out in the end those high thoughts of yourself. And I can see you. You are teetering up there on this high lofty place. High lofty opinions. People sitting around you, they know it not. And the thing is, because you think such highly of yourself, you're up there teetering. You're whistling Dixie! And the ground is breaking out beneath your feet. And you're in trouble. You're in serious trouble. You're not in your right mind. You're not thinking with sober judgment. What could be more insane and more out of your mind than to convince yourself that you're saved, that you're heaven bound, that you're safe, that you're right with God, when the truth is that your thinking is dead wrong. It is backwards. It is not right. Folks, and here's the problem. Here's the problem. The people that are up there teetering on this high place, they're ready to fall off this dangerous precipice down 
into hell. And I see you there. You're teetering on this thing. You've got the high lofty opinions of yourself. You came in here today, you're not afraid. You ought to be afraid and you're not afraid. And you're teetering up there and the mouth of hell is open beneath you. And you're dancing. You're singing. You're living your life having fun. And you know what? Because of your high thoughts, I'm not getting through to you. Because the very person that I'm addressing, for the very fact he has high thoughts of himself, you see, you say to the proud man, proud man, I see that you're proud. He says, no, I'm not. Why? Because in his pride, he thinks he can rightly discern where he's at. And so he has no recognition of his pride. The guy teetering up there. Hell is filled with people like this, folks. Filled with them. They went through their life. How many people do we have in this room that think right now, certainly, God's smiling on me. Certainly, everything is okay. Certainly, you know, you're, you're looking at traffic going by or something, saying, when, when's this guy going to get done? The truth is, you're not hearing a word that I'm saying. I am saying words to you right now that so accurate, I have described you to the T. And you're just the guy because of your high thoughts. You're just the lady because you are thinking insanely about yourself. It doesn't matter if you're a member of this church. It doesn't matter if you've been baptized. But there you are, sitting unafraid, thinking everything is okay. But that is out of this world! Higher than the way you ought to think of yourselves. Folks, I realize this. I got to find you out. Because the very ones that I mean to talk to right now are not going to think I'm talking to them. That's the way pride is. That's the way thinking too highly of yourself often is. You're the last person to believe that you're the person. So let me come find you. There you sit off in your little corner somewhere in your seat. Let me find you out. Because you're here. Oh, I know some of you are here. Many of you are here. And I don't want it to be because I was vague. Because that day you came to that church in that yellow restaurant, it wasn't clear. I want you to hear very clearly. I want to bring you out of your insanity. I just I have five verses that I want to throw at you very quickly right now. And I hope you'll give me your ear. At least entertain the possibility that you may be out of your mind, you may be insane with the thoughts that you have of yourself. That you may be thinking way too highly of yourself. That your estimation of where you're at with God may not be true. Just entertain the possibility. And I know some of you that I'm talking to, many of you I'm talking to, you are there. You are safe. And, and having such thoughts is not presumption and is not thinking more highly of yourself than you ought to. You are one of God's children. And yes, it's an exalted place. And you're actually there. But some of you think you're there and you're not there. Just listen to me. Here's the first one. Listen very closely to this verse. John 3.36 Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Let me tell you something. 
I opened up this sermon by telling you that the purpose of the Gospel is to produce the obedience of faith. The obedience that comes forth from a life focused on Christ. Faith in Christ. Obedience to the Son. Some of you walked in here today, you think everything is okay. But your life is not filled with obedience. You've got a bad marriage. You've got bad relationships in the workplace. You have a real difficult time being honest. You don't get along well with people in the church. And you think it's okay. I'm telling you, it's not okay. Don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. Folks, you know what Jesus said? He said, I'm going to show you a fool. And here's the fool. He's got high thoughts of himself. He's got high thoughts of herself. Think they're heaven bound. Glory awaits them. But they're a fool. Why are they a fool? Because they built their religious house on the sand. Do you know what Jesus Christ says that's a picture of? It's a picture of the person who hears the truth and does not do it. Here's the thing. When Jesus Christ truly saves a sinner, they're given a new heart. The law is no longer grievous. They're given the Spirit of God and that Spirit works holiness. Brethren, folks, friends, you've come here. Jesus Christ, one day looking over the multitude, says this, Why do you call Me Lord, Lord? And do not do the things I say. The Apostle Paul said, do not be deceived. I'll guarantee you, masturbators, fornicators, adulterers, they do not inherit the kingdom of heaven. Those who are slaves to drugs, slaves to alcohol, those who serve the idols of this world, those who live their life. Look, you can disobey Jesus Christ without doing it with the high hand. You can just ignore Him. If you're just living your life ignoring the commands of Christ, you live your life like He never gave you commandments to live by. I'll tell you this, if you think you're heaven bound, you are thinking far too highly of yourself. Far too highly. Because faith produces obedience by the command of God. Romans 16 said, and if it's not flowing out, Paul says, look, circumcision doesn't mean anything. Uncircumcision doesn't mean anything. But what? Faith working through love. Faith produces an obedience of love. Living, loving, lowly sacrifices is what the Gospel produces. When people truly... Look, you don't come face to face with the living Christ and go away the same. This idea, you can say a little prayer, you can walk a little aisle, you can do your little deal, and then all of a sudden you're in, but your life doesn't change. Let me tell you, that's a gospel out of the pit of hell. If you are not obeying the Son, not perfectly, I recognize the Christian is not a perfect man, not a perfect woman. There's prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. But the desire of the heart and the basic pattern of the life 
is one where, yes, I'm prone to wander. Yes, I'm prone to wander from the God I love. But He is the God I love. And I find myself drawn back to Him again and again and again and wanting to obey because the Spirit of God is effectively and powerfully working in me to put to death sin. Stirring a love. Stirring a hunger for righteousness. And if that's not the case, your lofty thoughts of yourself are nothing more than that. You're you're insane. You're insane. If you think you're going to heaven living a life of disobedience and patterns of bondage to sin, you're insane. I can tell you that by the authority of the Word of God. The second text I would throw at you is this. Psalm 116, verse 6. The Lord preserves the simple. Now listen to this. When I was brought low, He saved me. I want you to hear that again. When I was brought low, He saved me. I know the King James Version puts helped there, but every other translation uses saved. And in fact, in the King James, the vast majority of the times this word shows up, it's translated exactly that way. Saved. Even the old Geneva Bible uses saved. When I was brought low, He saved me. Folks, let me tell you another thing. If you've got ideas that everything is safe with you, and that you've escaped hell, And that you'll be ushered into those everlasting arms. And you don't know what it is to have been brought low. I fear for you. Because God does not save the lofty. He saves the low. It's to those who have a broken and contrite spirit that He looks to. If God has never broken you, if you've somehow converted from Catholicism to Christianity, or converted from this thing to this thing, converted from that thing to this church, you've been baptized, but as you look at your life, you cannot identify a time when God has broken you. I fear for you. Your thoughts may be far too lofty. You say, how broken do I have to be? Broken enough to realize you can't save yourself. And only Christ can. To realize that only He, that all my hope is in Him. If you've never been brought face to face with your sin and with your weakness and with your lowliness, with your depravity in such a way that Christ is all in your mind to save you, you are not saved. You are not. Christ does not save people who don't need to be saved. And if you're good enough in and of yourself, you don't need Him. Oh, let me tell you, Jesus teaches us this same truth, does He not? He takes us into the temple. He wants us to picture a Pharisee, a tax collector. Pharisee, no, I thank You, Lord. He's praying. He's doing the religious thing. I thank You. I'm not like this guy over here. Well, who's the guy over there? Tax collector. You know what he did? He wouldn't even look up to heaven. He beat on his breast. Why? Because God had broken him. He realized there was nothing in himself. And he said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. 
And you know what Jesus Christ said? This man went home justified. Not the other. This man went home justified. Sir, ma'am, if you're here today, you may have just thought, well, you're going to church and, you know, whatever. You just hope to get through that. Get... But let me tell you something. God sent His Son to this earth to save those that need Him. He came to seek and to save the lost. And if somewhere in this you came in here today, God may break you down and, and there's a realization, I need help. Then He's a helper for the helpless. If you don't need Him, that's, I mean, He'll let you go on your way. If you don't need Him, you can walk forth. But don't go forth deceived and deluded with the insane thoughts that when you get to the end, there's anything but destruction that awaits you. Number three, I'll throw another verse at you. 2 Thessalonians 2, 11 and 12. Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order, now listen to this, in order that all may be condemned. Here we're told who's going to be condemned. Who are the people in this world who are going to be condemned? You say, bad people like Hitler, bad people like Stalin, bad people like, and you fill in the blank. You can think of all these atrocious crimes. You know, well, certainly people that, Jeffrey Dahmers and cannibals and that kind of thing, right? They're the ones that are going to be condemned. Yes, they are. But hear what God says. All may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Oh, let's go there. How many people think that they're heaven bound and they take pleasure in unrighteousness? They'll turn on the TV and they'll sit there and take pleasure in all the things that God hates. Let me tell you, that's, an easy, that's a dead giveaway. I can remember when I was first converted, I was involved with a singles group in this church up in Kalamazoo, Michigan. And one Friday, they were all saying, well, let's go to a movie. Okay, I mean, I'd only been converted just a few months. We go to a movie and the Lord's name was dragged through the dirt over and over and over again. And we came out of there, I felt defiled, I felt dirty, I felt unclean. And we went to one of the girls' apartments and there was a whole room of us there. And I said, guys, that was terrible what we just did. There was a girl sitting next to me, what? I said, doesn't it bother anybody how often the Lord's name was blasphemed? What? I, I didn't even recognize. I didn't realize. I didn't even notice. If that's, you know what? Her problem isn't she's backslidden. Her problem is she's lost. She's lost. Did she go to the church? Was she in the singles group? Yeah. But I'll tell you what, if you have no sensitivity to unrighteousness, you take pleasure in it. You can just sit there and you can milk it down. All you've got to have to ask yourself is that. Do you take pleasure in unrighteousness? Do you take pleasure in that which is sexually illicit? The things that God does not approve of? The dragging of His name through the dirt? Watching all the things and the, the types of sins that He condemns in His Word? You find glory in that? You like that? You like to live for the things that God tells you not to live for? 
I'm telling you, no matter what other things may be true of your life, I don't care how many times you've been baptized. I don't care how regularly you go to church. I don't care how religious you are, how much you've put in the box. Folks, if you take pleasure in unrighteousness by God's authority, I tell you, you're going to be condemned. I'm, not talk- I'm talking about as a pattern of life. I'm talking if that's what characterizes your life. I'm not talking about the Christian who you know, finds himself five minutes into a show on TV he shouldn't be watching and has to repent of it, go turn it off, and goes out and feels grieved. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about those of you that can sit there, you can drink the filth of this world, and it doesn't bother you. Those who take pleasure in unrighteousness, they're going to be condemned. And if you've got other thoughts, they're insane. They're, you're thinking far too highly of yourself than you ought. Let me give you another one. Luke 14.33 Jesus Christ is speaking. He says this, Any one of you who does not renounce all that he has, he cannot be my disciple. Did you guys get that? So many people have no understanding of what the requirements are set before men and women. Can I tell you something? Jesus Christ paid it all. We sing that song. He paid it all. But do you know what that means? That means that everything that was required to pay that debt that you owed God for your sin, He paid. Let me tell you something. There is a cost to following Christ. What's that cost? It doesn't mean you have to pay something to earn your way to heaven. It means this. If you'll truly come to Christ to be saved by Him and by Him alone, by the grace of God, you're going to have to turn and repent. You're going to have to turn from everything. There's a total renouncing. Hear it again. Except you renounce all that you have, you cannot be His disciple. Now that staggers people. Because most people do not think of Christianity on that term. That Christ comes and basically He offers salvation freely to man. And yet as freely as He offers it, His condition is this. I will save you I will bring you fully to the Father. I I will save you to the uttermost. But you must bow to Me. There must be full surrender. You've got to stop your warfare against Me. There needs to be a total renouncing. Brethren, mark it down. You know what God says? under the New Covenant as it's given to us in what? Ezekiel 36? Listen to this. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses. Now listen to this. From all your idols, I will cleanse you. You know what God has promised? If He saves you, every idol's coming out. If you claim to have a Christianity and you know nothing of having idols uprooted, I'm telling you, be afraid. You're on the wrong road. Jesus Christ is a jealous lover. The church is His bride. And He means to have our love. And He will root out every one of them. If your Christianity has not involved loss, having to give things up, having sometimes things stripped away from you, it's not the real deal. This, oh, and sometimes some of those idols He takes away, they hurt. Brethren, 
My true brothers and sisters, you know what I say is true. Because you know what Jesus Christ asks for? Typically, the thing we love the most. It's almost like you got a life, you got to renounce all. And you got all this stuff, and you, he wants you to surrender it to him. Now, he may say, well, you can keep that, you can keep that, you can keep that. And we're like, we got our eyes on that one thing, you know, that thing right there. Hopefully, he'll let me keep that. That's because that's what I really want to keep. And you just know it's coming. He says, that's the way it was with the rich young ruler. Rich young ruler comes to him. Lord, I want eternal life. That's a good, that's, that's really good to want that. You know what the Lord did? He went right to the one thing. The Lord knows what has roots into our heart. And if you don't know about this cleansing of idols and forsaking all that you have, you can't be His disciple. You can't be. Now I know you're not hearing this in a lot of places. And I know you don't hear this on TV. But this is what God's Word says. This is what the living Christ says to us. People have all sorts of notions that they're saved. When the truth is, this work of repentance has never been deeply wrought in their hearts. Let me give you one more. 1 Corinthians 16.22 If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be a now did you get that if you have no love for the Lord you're in a class not where you're heaven bound and blessed you're in the class of people that are cursed you say what do you mean Matt talked about agape love agape love is love of the will he's developing that for us out of 1 Corinthians 13 let me tell you something this love is not that love. Matt talked about the sexual love. He didn't touch on this one exactly. This is the word phileo. This is the word that has to do with the love of the affection. The love of the emotions. Basically what Paul's saying here is if you don't emotionally have an attachment to Christ, let you be accursed. Why do I even bring this one up? Because... To so many people, you know what Christianity is? It's a ticket out of hell. But that's not, what, that's not what biblical Christianity is. Biblical Christianity is falling in love with Jesus Christ. Where He's everything. Where He's my all. Where I want to be with Him. I want to be with people who love Him. I want to be where He is sung about. And where His words are spoken. I want to know Him. Any kind of religion that you have that is simply a fire escape out of hell, it's not good. It doesn't save. You see what happens is when God truly saves. Have you ever read this? Christ said, no one can come to me except my Father who has sent me draws him. Do you know what that is? There is a desire. There is a hunger. There's an emotional longing for Christ that God works into the fabric of a person's being where they love. Look, if I came to you and I said, 
do you love your wife? Or do you love your husband? And you said, yes, I love them. And, and I began to talk to you about, you know, well, how does that love express itself? Well, I never really want to be with them. I don't like to eat at the same dinner table with them. I don't like to speak to them. But I did like that when I married her, she came with an inheritance. She's got rich parents and that's got me a lot of money. Well, you'd look at that and say, well, you love the money, you don't love her. But it's the same kind of thing. The kind of Christianity that's real, that's true, that, that is the saving type of faith is a one where we fall in love with Christ. He's in our thoughts. I mean, if you don't know anything about waking up in the morning and boom, there's Christ in your thoughts. Drifting off to sleep at night, there's Christ in your lingering thoughts. If you don't know about that, you, you're not there. You're thinking more highly of yourself than you ought to think. When you love with the affections and the emotions, come on, when a man and a woman fall in love with each other, what are they? They think The guy thinking about sports all day and she's not in any of his thoughts? That's not true. When a man falls in love with a woman, he's consumed by thoughts of her. It's the same thing. If you have not love for the Lord Jesus Christ, the Apostle Paul under divine inspiration says you're cursed. Let a curse fall on you. Now look, some of you I know came in here today and you're teetering up here. I see you. You're going through life carefree, but your thoughts are insane because you're hanging over this edge and that gaping mouth is waiting for you. And you've got these false assurances and false securities and you know that the things I read right now do not describe your life. You're not obeying Christ consistently. You do not love Him with the affections. You haven't resigned all. You're basically living through life and these things are not true. You're holding things back. Let me tell you something. Jesus Christ is just the one to put men and women into their right mind. Did you ever read about the demoniac? They came out from the village and there, there he is! The demoniac! This guy was a wild man! He was a lunatic! What does it say? There he is. Seated, clothed, and in his right mind. And my desire is that some of you would be brought to your right mind. You remember the prodigal son? It says there he is. He's in the pig slop. You're out there. You're in the pig slop of life. I don't care if you call yourself a Christian or not. You know there's no joy in your heart because when you fall in love with Christ, it produces that joy. But it's not there. You've been playing a game. Let me tell you what, that prodigal son, he's out there, he's feeding the pigs. And it says he came to himself. Again! He came to his right mind. And if some of you come to your right mind, there is a father that is waiting. He's looking. Oh, and when that prodigal came up that road, he went out there and he put the robe on him and killed the fatted calf and he hugged him and rings on his fingers. And th- he waits. For those who come to their mind and come to their senses and flee to Him. Look, Jesus Christ is the insanity slayer. And look, I realize, some of you came in here today, I haven't penetrated. You came in insane, you're going to leave insane. But there's a day coming. And you know what it says in Isaiah 2? The Lord alone will be exalted in that day. And all your high and lofty thoughts are going to come crashing down. 
It won't be because I haven't spoken the truth to you. Listen, Jesus Christ became obedient all the way to the cross. Why? While we were yet sinners, while we were yet insane, while we were yet high and lifted up, Christ died for us. Christ came to die for the ungodly. He came to die for those whose minds are twisted and ungodly. If that fits your description, you're exactly the one. Scripture says receive Him. To as many as receive Him and believe on His name, He gives you the right. He gives you the authority to be children of God. He beckons to the sinner. Come. Come. Take all your insane thoughts and drop them down at the foot of the cross. I hope I hope God will clear that insanity. One day about 19 years ago, I typically come home with two 40 ounces, and I had one of them in my hand. And I was reading that book, Gospel According to Jesus. And there as I sat on that lazy boy chair in the middle of that apartment, suddenly God brought me to my right mind. And for the first time in my life, I came face to face with the fact that I had always had far too high thoughts of myself. I thought I was going to heaven. The way I had lived, it hadn't even entered my... I had plans not to go to hell. And suddenly, God came upon me with such convicting power and swept the insanity away. And for the first time as I sat there in that chair, I saw myself for who I really was and I realized at that moment, I deserve hell. I have been nothing but rotten. I've lived my life totally consumed with me. I've done nothing but sin my whole life. The filth and the grime are deep. I am going to hell. I am without hope. And about three months later, all the insanity hadn't gone away because I was insanely wanting to hold on to certain sins in my life. And I wasn't willing to give them up for the sake of Christ and eternal life. And the moment I came to that sober judgment that nothing was worth holding on to at the risk of my eternal soul, and I let everything go, it was all forsaken. Let me tell you, He graciously saved me that very moment. And I know upon the authority of His Word, He will do the same to you. I'm certain. This is no fairy tale, folks. This is real life. This is what it's all about. Sports on TV, that's fantasy. This world out here, this is the shadow. But there's a reality. You're going to die. That's real. There's a judgment after that. That's real. 
There's a living Christ who rules and reigns over the nations. And that is real. And He calls you to submit to Him. And that is real. And He calls you to forsake all. And that is real. And He has said, look, I didn't come as some blazing monarch to terrify you. He said, learn of Me. I am meek and I am lowly. And I took upon Myself the form of a servant. And I obeyed all the way to the cross. My Father spilled My soul. I shed My blood. I was crushed. I was grieved. I was bruised. To put you in your right mind. And to bring you where... I will delight you with Myself forever and forever and forever and to love you and to hold you close and to amaze you with My glory. Come unto Me all you that labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Rest from all your insanity. Will God help us God help the insane. For Jesus' sake, amen. You're dismissed.